If one of many worlds could lay a stain upon our sex, and work so great a fall to wretched man by Satan's subtle train, what will so foul a fault amongst you all? Her weakness did the serpent's word obey, but you in malice God's dear son betray. Whom, if justly you could admit to die, her sin was small to what you do commit. All mortal sins that do for vengeance cry are not to be compared unto it. If many worlds would altogether try, by all their sins the wrath of God to get, this sin of yours surmounts them all as far as doth the sun, another little star. From Salve Deus Rex Judeorum by Emilio Lanier. Children gather round, come sit by the cannon fire, come and join the conversation. Children gather round, written works are your desire. Come and sit beside the flame of the cannon fire. Hi, and welcome to Cannon Fire, Episode 5, Part 2, Amelia Lanier, Feminism Before Feminism Was Cool. Unfortunately, this week, we don't have any patrons to thank. Get on that, guys. We love you. (laughs) But the week this releases will be Zoe's birthday. So if you follow her on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, wish her a happy birthday for us. She got some uh, tradition-setting mugs. Mugs ever. Okay, so if y'all don't know me, I collect mugs same oh my god oh god we're gonna go on a tangent (laughs) (laughs) i collect mugs that are either pottery or that they have like book titles or or uh something related to words being written (laughs) on the mug itself and g like completely blindsided me when we have our tea before we talk because vocal taking care of I can't language (laughs) because of vocal reasons, throat reasons. And these are giant mugs. They're so good for tea. And mine says due to unfortunate circumstances, I'm awake, which today is, is very, 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 very (laughs) because I can't think at the moment. So the, the reason that I got these mugs is because yes, we do have tea before every episode. So I thought, well, why not just have podcast mugs? Why not? And they're not like podcast themed or anything. They're just mugs that match each of our personalities. So Zoe says, due to unfortunate circumstances, I'm awake. Kate says, awkward is my specialty. <laughs> and mine said, because I am obsessed with both puns and cats. Mine says, sorry, I got to go. My cat needs me. So, I think I'm hilarious. We're multilingual, guys. <laughs> I don't really. speak Spanish. I speak French, but... Caitlin um, speaks German. I'm trying to learn Spanish and sign. I speak Caitlin German? Speaks or, Russian. Wow, Russian. Caitlin speaks I Russian. I really can't function today. This so, is the second episode in the same day. <laughs> we so do that worries. every week. So, unfortunately, again, no patrons, but wish Zoe a happy birthday. And sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of Amelia Lanier. So that one gave me chills too. So I might not agree with her style, but 
she is audacious. <laughs> For real. <laughs> and what she says. Oh my goodness. G, you said this quote also gave you chills. It did. Oh my God. I can't. Like, okay, let me, let me start by saying I don't actually understand about 40% of what she's saying, but the stuff that I do understand, oh boy, <laughs> I really like it. She is wielding a sword in her pen. Yeah. Literally. And she's attacking yeah. men as a society. Yeah. Like, and. I was obsessed with Shakespeare whenever we started learning about Shakespeare. I really liked... Now, it's because I was a pretentious child, but now I am no longer a pretentious child. I'm a pretentious adult who still really likes Shakespeare. <laughs> and that's the only reason I'm able to understand more than half of what she's saying. Because none of it makes sense if you're speaking modern English, unless you've studied it. But I really, really, really like it. For our listeners who um, might have trouble like me understanding, Caitlin, would you like to kind of paraphrase the main talking points of why you chose this quote? I chose this quote because basically what it's saying is what Eve may have done is bad, but what you have done in response to women is so much worse. Uh, her sin is so small to what you do commit. What she she ate an apple. She made a mistake. A serpent lied to her, and she ate an apple. And supposedly, she supposedly. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, in the story, she ate an apple, but supposedly it was an apple. Mm-hmm. There is a. There's. So I'm much about to on. get so mad because there is so much debate on what that fruit was, and I'm like, <laughs> debate the actions. What? It's a fruit. It doesn't matter. It's the fruit of all knowledge. Yeah, that's all it was. I don't think apples are the fruit of all knowledge. No, though supposedly they keep the doctor away. Not for, <laughs> not for me. No. <laughs> no. Actually, it was it probably work. more likely to be some kind of apricot or fig. But anyway, the oh, point that is... Has you know very what? You know what does keep doctors away? If you throw an apple at them a day. <laughs> don't necessarily abuse Don't throw your apples doctors, at your doctors. But... Don't throw apples <laughs> at your doctors. We do not no, endorse... We do not endorse (laughs) apple hurling on this podcast. Why are we like this today? Because we're all very tired. You know what I wish it was, though? I really wish it were, um... What if it was, like, a grape? (laughs) Oh my goodness, it's a small little thing. (laughs) Or, or like, Persephone with... What did she Oh, pomegranates. Yeah. Yeah. Seeds. There are Not so... even a whole fruit, y'all. Well, po- you can't eat the whole pomegranate. <laughs> That's a lie. But she did. <laughs> That's false advertising. No, you can't. That's true. Please you don't eat the whole pomegranate. Please do not do that. But you make it sound like the pomegranate is a fruit. It's the seeds that are it's edible. It's the seeds. It's false yeah. advertising. Well, and she, the thing is, though, a pomegranate has thousands of seeds, and she only ate five and was forced to stay. In the underworld. Women what we're getting to, Yes, that's what we're getting at here. by saying that they can't control their it's, bodies. No, 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 wait, hang on. It's literally punishable by death in both of those stories. Because Persephone, while we've interpreted it differently modernly, I'm really excited about this. While we've interpret, interpreted the story of Persephone and Hades in modern times a lot differently, um, because we like the idea of Persephone having a lot of agency, and actually choosing to stay in the underworld, which she kind of did. Like, every god knows that if you eat the fruit in the underworld, you have to stay there. So we've kind of interpreted it as she definitely chose to do that. She liked Hades. Her mother was just kind of controlling, that kind of thing. But that being said, 
Persephone ate the pomegranate seeds and was punished, air quotes, by having to stay in Hades. Eve ate the apple, or whatever it was, (laughs) and was punished before she ate the apple. Humans couldn't die, according to the Bible. Humans could not die. Humans would live forever because they were just like God. Um, because they were made in his image. So afterwards... Or their image. Right. And, and Eden is a paradise. So why would people die in a paradise? So after that, they were... And there was also the tree of life, which they, they were allowed to eat off of, which kept them alive. That's, that's how that's been interpreted. So after that, they were cast out, no longer had access to the tree of life, which means they were now mortal. And then women were further punished by childbirth yes. pain. Yes, yes. Um, which we're still dealing with um, as a community who um, is ignored. I really, really like mythology. <laughs> Let's just... <laughs> who is ignored when explaining pain in general. They're not listened to yep. by medical professionals um, at a much higher uh, ratio and a much higher rate than men's pain is diagnosed. Or they're diagnosed in ways that do not help the actual issue. Or they are not given pain medication during birth, specifically with women of color in America. Because it can harm the baby. It can't. I mean, there are some that can. But that baby's coming out of you. Yeah, it's not not attached anymore. Yeah, it'll be (laughs) alright. And saying that, oh, she's making it up, she... It doesn't actually hurt that much by men who have never experienced childbirth. I literally, this is insane to me. I, I have a female doctor and have just started going to a female doctor. Like I turned 18 and that's when I started going to a female doctor. But they still didn't listen to me whenever I was living back at home in Texas. I got one here when I moved here and I stopped her and thanked her for listening to me when I told her something. Because I had never had a doctor do that before. Ever. So, ladies, find a doctor that listens to you. Yeah, my um, doctor, who is also uh, a female GP, listened to me when I complained about depression Mm -hmm. and made me get tests to make sure that my hormone levels were being regulated by my thyroid and figured out that that was an issue that I had been living with. And before saying... You need to be on all of these medications. She figured out the actual problem that needed to be addressed so that I wasn't taking needless medicine. And uh, it wasn't costing me anything (laughs) because of of, I'm on my mom's health care plan. But the idea that uh, these women who either chose or made mistakes, depending on your interpretation, are punished and they're... um, the the people who follow them are punished uh, in their communities for this one action. It's a giant call-out poem (laughs) against an entire society saying, this is easy for you to blame women because we cannot defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you'd rather blame us than take take responsibility for the actions that you've actually harmed half of the world by doing. So I definitely applaud her for her... um, <laughs> um, I can't audacity. function. Audacity. Yeah. Because being an audacious woman in whatever history, in, in whatever time period in history, is something courageous, something that should be celebrated, something that has historically and continues to be punished. 
You see this with female athletes who are um, brazen enough to say that something was unfair. You see this in the representation of Serena Williams. Yep. Uh, especially now that she's become a mother. Um, and so it's actually uh, really sad and inspiring how relatable Lanyard's works once translated into modern language still is today. Right. I was thinking about that last episode, thinking, wow, society really hasn't changed all that much, has it? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Just kind of putting a point on that crazy Elizabethan things that we wish weren't as relatable as they are in the uh is in the early modern age in england and across countries nobody really knew how human bodies worked they thought they did but they didn't but there was this belief that women did not feel pain in the same way that men did and that it was a lot duller for them and they could go through a lot more of it um pain tolerance and feeling pain are very different things. You can tolerate a lot of pain. Yes, female bodies typically can tolerate more pain because our bodies are made to absorb more pain. But it's still a lot. It just it still hurts. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that isn't taken seriously. And that's very depressing to me. It's harmful. It's very harmful. It's actively breaking the Hippocratic Oath. Yes, it is. To not listen to women. Yes, it is. I'm calling out all doctors (laughs) that don't do this. And I'm calling out the system that has perpetuated this, uh, this false idea of women don't know what they're experiencing. Zoe is big mad. I am furious. Today is, today has been a day I will come straight from work and I will rant on society because retail tells you the worst of society. So this is all to say (laughs) that while Amelia Lanier is hard to understand in terms of language, that doesn't mean that the concept that she's talking about are hard to understand or even dated by this point. Like, they're so sad. This is from the 1600s. This is from the 15th century in a country that none of us are in at the moment. 17th century. When 17th was the plague? Century? Uh, for, that was the 15th century. Okay, so okay. it was after the plague. I was going to say plague times, guys. Well, right after. Yeah. Right after the plague, yeah. Where a third of Europe's population died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Let's not even talk about why that happened. <laughs> speaking, oh. speaking of people not understanding the freaking world. Anti-vaxxers are pro-plague people. Pass it on. So, I would like our listeners to know that I am angrily laying on the floor. Gia's angrily laying on the floor if that didn't make it to the mic. I'm not... I'm very I'm very confused and upset right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's going on! I'm so... I would watch a quote-unquote reality show about a... Although I guess that's just Sawbones. About, um, about a modern doctor going back and talking to doctors. <laughs> yes! Um, Yes. Everybody loves if those you... good, good boys. And they're good, <laughs> and good, good wives. wives. Yes! Which, uh, keep in mind that it's Their doctor... wives have names, too. It's, it's Dr. Dr. Sidney McElroy. That's right. <laughs> yes. Um, who did a phenomenal episode on hysteria and how... And every other and episode every other of Sawbones. Yes. But specifically explaining diseases that were put on women to discredit Right, when most of the time they were something like regular emotions or depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, like actual diagnosable things that people were like, oh no, Freud! I am, oof. I have Freud, literally, Freud. so does the entire field of psychology. <laughs> we, we are so mad about Freud. 
Yes, technically, he fathered modern psychology in terms of the laying on a couch and talking to your therapist. But other than that, nothing he ever said was correct. Ever. So... <laughs> Freud was psychology's sperm donor. Freud was psychology's f boy. He was... Benedict. Oh! Freud was psychology's Benedict! Yes, I forgot we used that! Yes! We finally get to use that term. Again. We used it once. Calling them out. Speaking um, of calling Benedicts out, because we got super off topic. Oh my gosh. We, yeah, we're very I hope you guys are enjoying this. We've gone insane. Okay. It's chill. So, uh, Amelia Lanier calling out everyone who needed to be called out in a time when people wouldn't listen to her. Included Shakespeare. Can, Maybe. <laughs> can I, like, bring her back to life and make her my wife? Is that a thing that I can She'd do? She'd probably be down for that. Nice. But I'll get back to you on that. Speaking of calling out people that needed to be called out, I do want to talk about the potential influence she had on Shakespeare. Yes. Um, this is my favorite rant. I've heard this rant like six times, and it never fails to entertain me. So, go ahead. Okay. So, whether or not... Whether or not Amelia Lanier actually knew Shakespeare is a matter of debate within literary circles. I have seen places claim that there's no evidence that she knew Shakespeare, including the Poetry Foundation, where I don't... One, she was an artist in the court of Queen Elizabeth I, and a lot of artists within that period, Ben Jonson, William Shakespeare, all of these artists <laughs> knew each other, and while a lot of them didn't have the same level of public disagreement as Shakespeare and Ben Jonson, and we'll get into my headcanons about them. Probably never, because they're both canon canonical authors, but I do have those headcanons. Gay? Gay. Yes. Nice. Uh, Shakespeare, bye. Definitely. Oh, yeah. So there were these places of art, and specifically art made by middle-class people who were sometimes like Shakespeare and Ben Jonson and like Lanier, where they communicated in these groups that found influence in the court with the art they made, but were not courtiers themselves. And Lanier officially couldn't really be considered part of these, but her husband could, her brothers could. The people she interacted with on a daily basis, she could have very easily known Shakespeare, just because of the situation in which they both found themselves. Think of these get-togethers as artist retreats where spouses and family members could also attend and also get influence, because in today you see a lot of oh, I went to this weekend, I met up with all these authors, I did this workshop, I met up with all of these people in my community, I went with uh, my partner, I, I connected. That's how art has thrived, is through community. You see this in the Harlem Renaissance, you see this with the history telling of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, like all of these authors are interconnected and women haven't been included in those connections when they were there. Yes. Um, which is, <laughs> what is that expression? Which is one of the I'm reasons. With you. Okay. I'm, which, agree I'm agreeing with you with just my eyes. Oh my goodness, the eyes were so, so wide. <laughs> so I'm too mad to talk. So part of the reason that I find this theory frustrating is because it dismisses the idea that Amelia Lanier could have known Shakespeare because there was not proof of her having been in these spaces when proof would not have been recorded of her having been in these spaces. It's the whole, for most of history, Anonymous was a woman. Like, the, the people that are not named aren't necessarily not there. For real. Or the people who aren't understood by the people in power aren't included because we can trace this all the way back to Plato and Aristotle and their view about lesbians. I would like to reiterate a point that I made a few episodes ago which was like two months ago. 
So I've slept since then. <laughs> but history was 80% female and 95% gay. <laughs> so the only reason that we don't hear that is because the straight men wrote history. The straight white men wrote history and they wanted to be the heroes. Ugh. They weren't! Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, yeah, spoiler alert, Hercules actually kills both of his wives because he's in the wrong. I really appreciate how we're very Greek <laughs> in this episode. I just, I have Which, a lot of feelings. It makes sense because the Renaissance and the early modern era in terms of art pulled so often from classical. Oh, Gay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Classical. That's going to become sources. my catchphrase, and I'm just going to start saying it whenever Instead it's relevant, of, which know. is all the time. <laughs> okay, so when people, when the historical record does not reflect relationships, because that people involve women. that involve women, it is good to look at the art that was being made at that time because that art might reflect something that was not outwardly recorded. And I'm not going to talk a lot about this because. I, this is not a Shakespeare episode, this is an Amelia Lanyard episode, but one of the reasons that people think that she knew Shakespeare is because many people believe her to be Shakespeare's dark lady, who is the focus of a series of sonnets that talk about what seemed to be the same woman um, who Shakespeare is in love with and who Shakespeare writes about. Uh, the most famous is, that people generally know, is My Lover's Eyes Are Nothing Like the Sun, which is talking about how... She does not fit the portrait of classical Elizabethan beauty, but he still finds her very beautiful. And one of the reasons that they think that that people think Amelia Lanier is the Dark Lady is because the Dark Lady is a musician. She's described as playing the harpsichord, which Amelia Lanier was well known for. It was her primary instrument. It was the instrument she played in Elizabeth's court. The way she's physically described, um, one of the only physical descriptions, we do have one portrait, but one of the physical descriptions that we have of Amelia Lanier is from an astrologer named Simon Foreman, who she went to, who says that she has a wart or mole in the pit of her throat. She was very distinctly, not so much in the portraits, but portraits don't tend to be wholly accurate. They, they made the more societally beautiful features more prominent. She has very distinctly Jewish features, which mish match the descriptions of the Dark Lady as being not blonde, not fair, as being dark-haired and olive-skinned. Olive yeah. The other uh, thing that I would like to mention of, like, the importance of Simon Foreman is that he has record that Amelia Lanier talks about miscarriages, which has been a taboo in society forever. You know, it's still a taboo today that women mention that they even experienced miscarriages. When this is a very common thing that happens, it's a very tough, traumatic event for many people, but it is not isolated. It's not an isolated event. And women have been discouraged from finding community and healing from these events because it's not considered polite to talk about. It's like, and it, that's another Western concept. Mm -hmm. It's not polite to talk about death, therefore it's not polite to talk about miscarriages. It's not polite to talk about bodily functions, therefore it's not polite to talk about miscarriages. It, it's or menstruation. That, right. Or pregnancy. Right. It's that, it's that idea. That, yeah. And that's a very Western idea. Mm -hmm. That's a good point to make. Um, but I, I just wanted to, to mention, like, 
another reason that Lanyard is actually very relevant to today is that she breaks so many social norms and she's not afraid to say, I am a woman and these are my struggles. Hear me roar. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, she also uh, is recorded as saying that she missed being in court favor of Queen Elizabeth. So continue that headcanon. I'm gay. <laughs> uh, gay. One of one of the things also is that while there's no historical record of Amelia Lanyard and Shakespeare knowing each other, the Dark Lady sonnets were written when they were in England, in London, at the same time, in the same circles. Like it wasn't that he was because he did go on tour a lot. He he was a he was a theater person. He did plays all over the country sometimes. But this was when he specifically wrote these poems. He would have been in a position to know this specific woman. I would like to remind our listeners that the Dark Lady poems are not like romantic poems, really. It's he's scared of her. It is. That's, he's terrified of her, and I love that so much. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of why it, that I think that she could genuinely be the dark lady is mm-hmm. she had such a strong personality and the personality that Shakespeare writes about is very much in line with what she was saying in Salve Deus Rex Deorum about how women are capable in a way that, that flawless pronunciation though <laughs> dang I was like We're my learning. whole face just lit up. Um, she's known as being a middle-class woman who had considerable intelligence and spirit. And society at that time, the only woman in power was the queen. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so people weren't anticipating that other women could be like the queen. So another theory, before we get to how she could have potentially influenced Shakespeare, another theory is that she actually is Shakespeare, or was Shakespeare. Oh, bro. I like that theory. Oh, bro. Uh, I personally am of the opinion that Shakespeare was Shakespeare, and part of the reason I think she wasn't Shakespeare is because of how chauvinistic he was in his early plays. Because she would not have tolerated that. Yeah. But what if Shakespeare you know, um, regenerated and became her and wrote better. I almost feel like that's what happened, though. Because, okay. Are you guys okay? (laughs) I love Doctor Who. (laughs) So, so, the, I picked this up from somebody who is not a literary critic, but who wrote a very interesting book on Shakespeare called Women of Will, um, which is a double pun, and I love it. Uh, Women of Will was written by... Tina Packer, who is a Shakespearean, she's a Shakespearean actor and director, and her bibliography for this book is very good, uh, but I also did my own research after I read it. However, looking at it, I also give my recommendation. If you are curious about this argument and about how Shakespeare's women have been portrayed, look into it. <laughs> but one of the things is that in this time period where they were living in the same space and when the Dark Lady poems were written, Shakespeare's work had a shift. And it was a mm-hmm. shift that happened very quickly. And usually artistic shifts take a long time. Um, yes. I was going to say, for any... Because everybody has probably read at least these two Shakespeare stories. I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure... If you look at The Taming of the Shrew and how women are treated in The Taming of the Shrew. I hate The Taming of the it's Shrew. It's awful. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Much Ado About Nothing. Those two were... T- the Taming of the Shrew was before he met Amelia Lanier and Much Ado About Nothing was after. Mm-hmm. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing 
If or supposedly met Amelia Lanier. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing, just because that's my favorite Shakespeare play. Me too! The most, the most powerful character in that play is Beatrice. Beatrice. She is the most intelligent, she is the most witty, and I love it. So, However, I did not, I've not read or watched <gasps> Much Ado About Nothing. I was subjected to Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, and the Taming of the Shrew, and all of my I did all of those classes. too, but Much Ado About, oh my gosh, you have, I'm, mm, I've got to find also, it. Also, just I've like, I've got to find it. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I have it, it's in the complete I, works. Just because we're going to have this talk, uh, where I fight with the literary canon even more, don't read plays to start with. Watch read them. them. Yeah. Watch, watch yeah. them yeah, first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go see them they live. Were, they Don't were, just watch them. Yeah, they were Try not meant. They were not meant to. Especially be read. Shakespeare. Shakespeare is has absolutely no stage direction. Like he's just like make it up as you go along. Yep. Um, and and that's why whenever I was in high school and we every time we read Shakespeare specifically, we acted it out. Everybody was given a part and we acted it out, and it was hilarious and it was fun and it's exactly how Shakespeare would have wanted it. If you But not are, as gay. If you are old enough, I would definitely recommend looking at the abridged the complete works William Shakespeare abridged. Yes. Um watch the whole thing. It's by three comedians. They do an excellent job portraying how I would honestly view Shakespeare's plays to go. And they they make it so relevant and I have watched that fifteen times at least. Um, I would, I would recommend personally, because I am biased towards Much Ado About Nothing, the version, you can find it online, you can buy it, I bought it because I'm crazy, but the version of Much Ado About Nothing that David Tennant, David Tennant is amazing, uh and Catherine Tate, I love them together Mm -hmm. as friends, they They play Benedict and Beatrice in that version, and it's fantastic and it's hilarious and it's also based in the 1990s it's hilarious so stinking funny and if you're a purist uh my favorite version that has it set in what uh i think if you're a purist shut up go away no No, (laughs) i'm just kidding but caitlin's a purist i I like them both i like them both but i really do like seeing shakespeare kind of portrayed in the in the elizabethan garb just because i think it makes it funnier uh, it kind of does, yeah. My my favorite version is from The Globe. I think the David Tennant version is also from The Globe. It is. But it's a different yes. production. Hi, guys. It is G. Sorry for the interruption, but we watched the David Tennant and Catherine Tate production of Much Ado About Nothing after we recorded this episode. And as it turns out, that production is actually the West End production. You can find it online. And it is set in the 1980s, not the 1990s. So in case any of you were curious, wanted to watch it, or were mad at us for getting it wrong, this is our correction. And back to the show. My favorite production um, is by the globe you can get it on their website it was uh eve best and charles edwards who i think are much more known in britain than they are here because i have only ever seen charles edwards on downton abbey and i have not seen eve best um but that eve best is phenomenal as beatrice in that production anyway this is not a shakespeare episode that is a very compelling argument though 
that the Poetry Foundation kind of doesn't piece together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is looking, it is worth looking into. Yes. Um, for people who were not at the time considered worthy of being recorded in history. The art that is produced and the um, political conversations that were happening around the time of people's lives shape what they did much uh, more accurately and and kind of can show you what their beliefs were more accurately than a biased official quote-unquote history written at the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, this is true all the way back through Greece. Oh, um, yeah. This and- is true. I mean, this is true in, in the times of cave paintings. Yes. You know? And when I- people were writing, writing cave paintings, you, you, we know... For a fact that women invented language because of cave paintings. And so. women uh, created beer. So Yeah, we know welcome. that too. Yeah. Jane we Aust- were the only one. Jane Austen brewed beer. Of course she did. I'm so gay. Um, <laughs> women were trusted with beer recipes and creating beer recipes and holding that knowledge because men also, would mess it up. Also... Men did not drink beer. They drank wine and ale and all that other stuff because beer was a woman's drink because it was less alcoholic. So, just for all you beer snobs out there. Who okay. shame women now for drinking cocktails and high alcohol content. Yeah, my drink is 40% alcohol. Go ahead and sip your beer, babe. Whatever. Okay. So, uh, while the Dark Lady poems were being written... Uh, Shakespeare's other, Shakespeare's plays began to change, and they ch- the course of this was very quick. It usually takes our especially changing people's social mindsets takes can often takes a very long time. But this was over the course of maybe one or two years, which is comparably very quickly because you can track it by the start and finish date of his play Love Labor's Lost. You can you can track my shift from Republican to liberal in on my Facebook in a similar fashion. So please don't do that. <laughs> so so Shakespeare, when he first started, when he was first writing plays, he wrote plays like Taming of the Shrew and he wrote a lot of histories and he wrote a lot of women as kind of what I was saying before in the last episode, how there was this idea of them being unrestrained and like these like the shrew, like this screaming hellish person not even a person that uh could not control herself and had to be forced into being controlled by a man Mm -hmm. and he wrote these very stereotypical very uh shallow women characters that couldn't even be considered characters because they were more like an archetype either either two-dimensional stereotypes right either monsters or frail Mm -hmm. yes because monsters are butterflies. The shrew, it's the shrew, or it's the angel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's I'm like those it's terms like because I don't remember their names. It's sorry. like that uh, John Mulaney shout out. It's <laughs> like that John Mulaney bit where he talks about the uh, the newspaper, and he's like, "You're either a tot or an angel or a bozo or a hero or whatever." Yeah. It's like that. Go watch John Mulaney if you haven't. John Mulaney's a, a quality dude. So quality. so he starts, Shakespeare starts out writing this very stereotypical misogynist, which part partially people just attribute it to him not knowing many women because he wrote that at school where he was surrounded by boys. 
Um, which is probably also true. But little, that kind of shift... Little baby Billy. <laughs> that kind of shift doesn't happen as quickly unless something else inspires a shift like that. And the one of the theories, the one I, I subscribe to, is that the shift was his meeting Amelia Lanier. Because this is when the Dark Lady poems start. This is... The time in which they would have been in London in the same circles at the same time is when he starts to change. Um, and that can be tracked with Love, Love's Labor's Lost. Because the first draft of Love's Labor's Lost, there are a lot more records about drafts and versions of Shakespeare's plays than there are of Amelia Lanyard's. Um, in the first version of Love's Labor's Lost, it's supposed to end with the men proposing to the women and the women accepting the proposal, which is a conventional ending. It's how it would have ended. It's how uh, people would have expected it to end. It's very... So what you're saying is, supposedly, Amelia Lanyard made Shakespeare this non-contemporary, hilarious th person we think of him as today. Oh yeah. She definitely... Their relationship probably did not span very long, if they did have one, but you can see the fallout of him meeting somebody who taught him that women were thinkers. And, uh... These, like, Lady Macbeth wouldn't have happened without him meeting someone like that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Lady Macbeth is my favorite tragedy. Macbeth is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so, Lady Macbeth right. is a great, great character. Mm -hmm. uh, so he starts writing Love's Labor's Lost. At the end, they're supposed to all get married and live happily ever after. Um, by the end of his writing that play, the men propose and the women say no. Same. They basically, if the men go away for a year and serve those in need or study the meaning of life or improve themselves, then the women will accept them. And that is, okay, see, that's just me thinking about, like, some dumb kid just out of high school meets an actual, per like, intelligent woman and really likes her and wants to be with her. And she's like, my dude, no, you are not good enough for me. You're just, like... You don't respect me. You don't treat me well. You haven't thought your positions out. And I'm just sitting here going, I know a woman in the Elizabethan era who could have implanted that idea in his head. And so... Uh, I'm, I'm so obsessed with this. <laughs> and then after Love's Labor's Lost, his, uh, he starts challenging gender norms more. And he starts uh, displaying f women as characters in and of themselves who have personalities. One of the most transgressive things about Shakespeare... Uh, that people, I think, today don't seem to understand. They, they understand it as much, but we're still looking at it from a modern lens. All of the plays, and he has multiple plays, where women dress up as men and pass as men is a big deal. Because it's showing that these women have the mental capacity to pretend to be men. Which is saying that they are mentally on the same level as men. You mean because that thing that historically a lot of women did? Yeah. Or, well, and let's not erase trans people. In that, but historically, also a lot of women did something like that. So, you you start this man starts with this archetypal, uh, really, just like archetypal, very shallow just description of women, and then within two years, he is starting to write characters like Beatrice and. That comes from direct influence from someone. It might not have been Amelia Lanyard, but there's no way he would have come to that by himself, surrounded by 
nothing but dudes who all believed the same thing. Caitlin's pretty sure it was Amelia Lanyard, so. I, I don't know if you guys can tell. <laughs> Since we're talking about it. But it definitely provides, I think, a new way of analyzing historical events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. In terms of looking at and not assuming that women had no agency, but instead looking at what women in their uh, social circles, in the time frames, in the time periods, how they cultivated mobility in ways that we might not recognize as being powerful, but to them, that was how they navigated their world. Mm-hmm. And that gives them agency. We've talked about this with Ekmatova. We talked about this with Phyllis Wheatley. It would not surprise me <laughs> that women in Europe were doing the exact same thing prior to anyone, any author that we've talked about up to this point. Yeah. Um, before we end, I do want to say this episode is very Shakespeare heavy and that's because I truly believe that she influenced Shakespeare. But one of the reasons I think it's so important to recognize that that potentially happened is that part of liter- understanding literary criticism and understanding literary works is understanding their context. And when you erase mm-hmm. people like Amelia Lanier from the context, you're missing this whole important part of what could have influenced other authors. Yeah. Um, like, uh, we talked about this last week. She wrote the first country house poem. She started pastoralism before Ben Jonson. Ben Jonson probably got inspiration from her because he was in the same circles too. So this, it strengthens our understanding to witness these people who have been silenced because it helps us, no writer, no artist creates art in a vacuum and understanding the ways that we influence each other can understand how we get people that we prize so, that uh, our culture is prized so highly. Um, Because I don't think that Shakespeare is the be all end all of literature, but I do understand why he has, I love him and I understand why he's persisted to this day. And I honestly don't think he would have if something hadn't happened probably Amelia Lanier, to change his perspective on people as people. Amelia Lanier was so threatening to how the patriarchy in Europe and England at that time saw itself that as soon as her work, Salve Deus Rex Judeorum, was published, it wasn't reprinted, it wasn't circulated and she was buried in history enough that there were no what we would consider audacious female authors for another generation because they were not given access to what Amelia Lanyard's ideas and concepts and styles showed women that they were capable of and when you take away influential authors you are setting back communities And it is something that universities have done for generations to minorities, is that they have not published works by alumni. So by these people who went to these universities and published works and and everything, only a few people in very holding very specific um, societal positions were archived. And then those minority communities further along the line, were blamed for not having creativity and not showing merit when they have been doing that 
as long as anybody else. And so the fact that she hasn't been taught means that she had something important to say, in my opinion. And the fact that I honestly believe without Amelia Lanier's influence, there wouldn't be the women that spoke up a generation later that might have searched for her. There wouldn't be... Um, there wouldn't be Mary Wollstonecraft with an indication of the rights of women fighting for education of everybody right before Mary Shelley wowed the world by starting science fiction, by creating a male mother figure and saying, look at the monster you have created and putting men in the position of women for as long as women have been in a patriarchal society construct. There wouldn't be all of these powerful influences that still aren't being taught if we don't look to what women have said before and we don't give access. So while I do not, I will get to you, Jay, no, I promise. <laughs> while I do not personally, looking at how Amelia Lanyard writes, understand initially, easily, the concepts that she's talking about, what she has to say is important and needs to be translated for the modern reader, absolutely. I was going to say that uh, that there's this popular quote, behind every great king stands a great queen. No. Because behind every freaking revolution of woman stands a great queen. Behind every woman fighting for her rights, behind every woman fighting for recognition, and everything that we fight for as females, as women, as... Minorities. Anything in between. <laughs> yeah. As anyone who's not in charge, the straight white male, anyone who's not that, really, behind all of that is more often than not someone we would describe as a freaking queen. At Stonewall, Amelia Lanyer, uh, Phyllis Wheatley, Akhmadova, every single time. So keep in mind that women are really, really, really freaking influential more than we learn about for sure and queer people yes are very very influential more than we ever as a patriarchal society want to give them power and give them credit for because while the word homosexual wasn't created until the 1900s we've been Gay. around for as long as humanity has existed because we are population control ground zero. <laughs> we are here. We are gay. Okay. That's going <laughs> to blow. It did. Eardrums. It it did. Um is that it? That's I, it. I think at the moment. Okay. I had a good time. Okay. That is all for part 2 of Amelia Lanyer. Cannon Fire was created by Caitlin Porter, Zoe Bergmeier Sweat and G Daly. Thanks to Alan Hardison for a theme song and Brittany Barrel for our banner art. If you want even more awesome content, you can donate as little as $2 to our Patreon. You'll get access to bonus content such as monthly, monthly rants, possibly drunken rants, which would be my area mostly of expertise, and also life updates, uh, as well as a shout out on the podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at canonfirepodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at canonfirepod and Facebook and Instagram at canonfirepodcast. Um, if you want some other resources or to view our transcripts, which Zoe so graciously writes for us, 
you can go to our website, canonfirepodcast.com, where you can also listen to every episode we have. That G edits phenomenally, knocks Knocks it out out of the the park. park. Jinx. (laughs) All right. Oh, and you can find us on Patreon at Canonfire. So that's it. Until next time when we are talking about... Audrey Lord, let's get excited. All right. <laughs> okay. And just remember Western grammar is a white colonial construct, and grammar wasn't even standardized until after Emilio Lanyard's death. So it's not necessary. <laughs> That's how it be. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>